Please don't pick up. Hello? Hey, JT. It's Eddie, man. I know. Well, uh, how the hell are you? How's New Jersey been treating you? I moved to Pennsylvania. Oh, right. To be with your girlfriend. Parents. Right, right. So here's the deal. I think we broke up on good enough terms, right? It's been eight months or so. I've tried seeing other podcasters and it doesn't work. You've tried seeing other podcasters and it doesn't work. What do you say we fucking, you know, give things another go? Last time we recorded, you kicked us out of the house the moment you closed the laptop. It was an emotional moment for everyone involved. Eddie, I was your roommate. Where was I supposed to go? You said that Malcolm and I were dead to you. Okay, first of all, I said you guys were bred to me. Like, if the podcast was a sandwich, and I'm the meat, which we know I am, you guys are bred to me. You're even stupider than the last time we talked. Be that as it may, what do you say? Why? Why do you really want to bring this back after the whole goodbye tour? It's over. What are we going to get out of this? I'll explain when I have you and Malcolm on the phone together. It's complicated, but it is urgent. Is Malcolm on board with this? Of course he is. Call me back tomorrow. Hello? Malcolm? Hey, who, who is this? Um, it's Eddie. Don't you have my number? Yeah, man. <laughs> what, what's up? Is uh, David okay? Yeah, he's fine. I mean, uh, he hasn't fucking paid his rent since we moved in, but uh, we can table that. I knew you guys would get along great. Well, Malcolm, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I already talked to JT about this. He's super excited, and I want to bring back the podcast for another season. I can't come to the phone right now, so leave a message and I'll get back to you. Shit. That was a really well-made voicemail prank. He knew what I was going to say. It sounded so spontaneous, like he was making it up on the spot. Fuck, this guy's fucking smarter than I thought. Yo. Dude, did Eddie just call you? Yeah. I don't know, man. Look, I love talking to you about movies, but I think if we're even going to consider doing this, we gotta come in hard when it comes to contract negotiations. As a leftist, I'm a huge fan of labor negotiations, so that won't be a problem for me. But why would we even do the podcast? Look, for all his flaws as a boss, manager, producer, pimp, etc., Eddie only goes all in on projects that he believes in. There's got to be something important that he's not telling us. Okay, let's hear him out. Uh, Can we add him to the call? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. What? Hey, guys, what's up? Wait, wait, how did I do that? Eddie, were you listening in on the call? Hey guys, I uh, I think it's a tunnel I'm going through right now or something. But I wanted to say that I'm super excited uh, that you guys are doing the pod again with me and you know it'll be a great season. No, we did not agree to that. Eddie, I have serious concerns. When we were wrapping up last time, you kept making all of these cannibalistic references and then you told me I was bred to you. What was that all about? No, no, you misheard me. I said you were dead to me. What? Why? Because we're best friends, and that's what best friends do. I literally haven't heard from you since the pod ended until now. Same. 
neither of any of my other friends. Ask my fucking mom. She's probably my other best friend. She hasn't talked to me since then. Um, I think my point kind of stands either way, and I think this weekend kind of works. Like, if we want to do episode one. Neither of us agreed to this. Yet. Yet. Okay, but seriously, why? I was going to do a whole dancing around the real issue thing, but I'm kind of in trouble. Do you guys remember our nemesis, Gaylord Newman? Come on, man. Are you serious? Can't we just leave all that petty internet stuff behind? You don't like the guy. Not the end of the world. Look, it's it's not my fault that he geotagged his Instagram story that showed him and his wife on an anniversary date at a restaurant merely 60 miles away from my house. So I make the drive and we finally meet in real life, right? Me and Gaylord Newman, mano y mano. I have a couple of drinks at the bar, go up to his table. I make some fucking beautiful excuse to chat with him before I reveal who I really am. So we're a few rounds deep at this point, right? And, you know, he gets to the shit talking and his wife calls the authority, yada, yada, yada. And uh, while we're in the squad car, you know, getting ready to get thrown in the drunk tank together, or so I think, we make a deal. If I record an 18-episode season about 100 years of cinema history, with each episode being of substantially higher quality than all previous iterations of extended clip, and if me, Malcolm, and JT are nice, smart, funny, and everything else that we were for all of the episodes, he gives me $300 and his wife. Now, if I fail to deliver, the same goes for my money and my wife, but little does he know, I'm broke, I'm not married, and my girlfriend died six months ago. So it's kind of a win-win, right? So anyway, his fucking lawyer gets him out on bail, and I had to stay in there and cool off by myself, which sucked. But anyway, uh, it kind of added to the motivation, and I could really use it. Eddie, I don't think you talked to Gaylord Newman. But what do you mean? I think you got drunk at a restaurant and told some random asshole you used to have a podcast. And then you got arrested. Is your girlfriend really dead? Yeah, but that's like not even the point. That was six months ago. Jesus, man. You didn't tell me. I'm I'm sorry. Is this why this is all going down? What do you mean all of this? I No, I want to do a fucking podcast again. Look, we could split it, okay? That'll be fine enough for me. We can split $300 and Gaylord Newman's wife. Three ways. There's enough for all of us. <laughs> Eddie, if you need to do the podcast to cope with your loss, I totally understand. As a cinephile, I'm very familiar with grief and trauma. Yeah, man. We're empathy machines. We're here for you. And if this whole thing with Gaylord Newman and his wife turns out to be true, I'll be here for her too. Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards it? This is Michael Mann and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. Yep, we're uh, we're doing the podcast again. Yeah, it's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's casual. <laughs> it's pretty casual. Yeah, we're back. We can't. We yeah, left, well. and now we're back. Yeah. big deal. Whatever. Look, I know I said that we couldn't do it anymore, and that's why we did the whole like, oh, it's a final season. Oh no, <laughs> that was an elaborate bit. That we yeah, was... we knew this the whole time. We went in completely planned. This is not us just reneging on that decision if you just just less than a year later this is this is all a part of our Machiave- machiavellian scheme 
I would say not even Machiavellian. It's more Kaufman-esque. Kaufman, yeah. We're, we're, because we're, we're wrestling with people you wouldn't expect us to wrestle with. You peel back a layer and it realizes. It's another girl wrestling with a girl. Yeah. And you, and then you zoom out and then all the buildings look like puzzle pieces and it's, you've pieced it all together. Wow. Yeah, there's been a lot of external forces. You know, we had to pause the podcast. There's a little bit of heat on us. You know what I mean? And we just wanted to cool off for a while. So it's not really a big deal. And uh, now we're back. And it was all according to design. We're all we're string pullers. Yeah. Um, the podcast is not coming back on a weekly basis. I'm sorry. It just it literally can't happen like that. That's mm-hmm. why we ended it the first time. Malcolm and I are big Hollywood big shots. <laughs> uh, we are on set 60 hours a week. We cannot do a weekly podcast anymore. But quantity over quality no sorry that's what we used to do yeah. quality over quantity that's the new uh Mono. you know yeah, frankly sure. i think before we got somewhere in the middle of quality and quantity <laughs> but that's debatable well, well yeah. this is all quality baby <laughs> yeah. so anyway the project this time around 100 years of cinema through double features baby we're moving forward from 1920 we're moving backwards from 2020. We're meeting in the middle around May 68, baby. We're getting political. Yep. We're <laughs> no, I think the middle's actually more like 1970. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, it's an 18-episode structure, but there's going to be a lot of kind of detours. Uh, like this episode is one of them, and there's going to be some other stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be it's just gonna be fun. I think it's just going to be fun. We're, we're, we're constructing our own canon, you know what I mean, with... Some people, they like to go off the beaten path. They're like, you know, I, I've i seen every, uh, you know, uh, I can't, name you can't even think of a canon director. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, That's how much you avoid the canon is well, you can't even think of it. Yeah, true. I'm, I'm thinking alternatively all the time. But, yeah, I, you know, I've seen every single Stan Brockage movie, but I've, I've never seen The Godfather or something like that. You know, we're... We're taking the canon into consideration. We love the canon. We love Charlie Chaplin. We love Alfred Hitchcock. We, you know, we like these guys, Jonathan Ford, all these guys. But, you know, we, we, as we did previously on other episodes, you know, we like to make some obscure picks here and there. You know what I mean? We want to get all the cracks and crevices. And I think maybe that's could be our unique viewpoint. You know what I mean? Uh, taking the canon into consideration, taking the beaten path into the consideration the road less traveled you know stuff like that and we mix it all into our own stew and you know we're we're bridging both parties together and you know we're kind of we're the, we're the ultimate centrist podcast we're the ultimate centrist podcast <laughs> and we're the only people who are correct we're only the, the odd people are not thinking correctly true about these things Very so true. we noticed that and we're like well we if we brought back the podcast we could kind of lay it all down for you and put you on game so yeah and we're not going to keep talking about what the podcast is going to be we're just going to fucking do it now right yeah uh jt any other final notes on uh what's to come uh just a lot of a lot of intellectual conversation that you've come to expect from this program maybe a laugh here and there um a lot of respect i think that's uh i think it's all about the respect i mean absolutely we're the most respectful people of all time and i think that this podcast is about us getting our respect <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know and if we could 
um, intellectually stimulate you. If we could stimulate you in any way, we would love to stimulate you. Keep listening to the podcast and you will be stimulated. <laughs> and here is a very stimulating interview with me and John DeMarzico. You know, usually we talk to directors of films. And sometimes we talk about sports. But today I'm going to combine those two things. On the first interview of the extended Clipper Union tour, John DeMarsico is our guest. He directs the broadcast on SNY for the Mets. He also directs the uh, women's basketball broadcast for UConn, but let's focus on the Mets here. We're talking about baseball. Meet the Mets. Don't you want to meet the Mets? Come and meet the Mets. Come and meet John DeMarsico. He is a cinephilic um, TV director, and that's like the best thing you can ask for when you're watching television, isn't it? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I don't think we need to beat around the bush or, uh, you know, pitch around this batter, so to speak. I think we should just call him up. Hello. Hey, is this John? Yes, it is. Great. This is Eddie. Can you hear me all right? I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Sorry about the little uh, time zone mix up there. No, it's all good, man. <laughs> How are you doing today? How's your Labor Day going? Uh, well, it's pretty good. We had a we we're in Pittsburgh. We're supposed to have a game today, but we got rained out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of hanging out in the room and looking outside. Although we got rained out, it really rained. So they called it so early that I think they messed up. Yeah, that uh, it's always <laughs> a fine line, you know, the postpone, right? the delay. It's uh, ev- someone's gonna be mad at them no matter what they choose to do. <laughs> for sure, for sure, yeah. They, they it was a, supposed to be a twelve thirty start, and they they called it at like it was like before ten a.m. Wow! And it was raining the forecast all day, but it really hasn't rained, which is bizarre. So doubleheader Wednesday. <laughs> okay. Hey, nothing's yeah. uh, nothing's better than a day to play too, right? <laughs> right. Sunshine, fresh air. We got the team behind us. So let's play two. I remember one of my earliest memories watching baseball, uh, being like really, really into it, uh, like glued to the set. Uh, Greg Maddox had come to the Dodgers late in his career, and he mm-hmm. was he was no hitting through six. And uh, I think it was in Cincinnati, and there was a rain delay. And uh, so you know we were watching whatever they show on the rain delay, the Stooges or whatever. And uh, my mom was like, "Come on, we have to go run errands." And the fact that the game resumed while we were listening to the radio in the car, to this day, is still why I think Greg Maddox didn't pitch a no-hitter that day. (laughs) That's funny. I remember him for the Dodgers. That's right. I totally forgot about that. He was great. We actually saw him lose to your Mets uh, in the playoffs. That was the first playoff game I ever went to after the Dodgers had been horrible for my whole upbringing. They finally made the playoffs and uh, lost to the Mets in the first round. (laughs) Oh, so we're so we're talking we're talking about two thousand or two thousand? Yeah, it's got to be right. Or oh no, two, I was yeah. gonna say oh six. No, oh oh six. So we're talking oh six because the oh yeah. So so in two thousand, the Mets beat the Giants in the first round. Two thousand six, they beat the Dodgers in yeah. the first round. That's right. Wow, that was late. That was late, Maddox. Uh, that that year I got to see Maddox pitch for the Dodgers, and the next year I saw them play the Phillies in the playoffs, and got to see a very late Pedro Martinez performance. Oh man, that's yeah. funny. That was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. so 
So I wanted to start, uh, and I, I did a little intro before, so uh, the, sure. they'll they'll know who you are. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. so you you were a film student, and uh, you know now you're a direct a sports director, and you direct the Mets sure. broadcast. And uh, what was like? I don't know. What was the first moment, if you can pinpoint it, when you realized that a televised sports broadcast had so much in common with like the language of film? That's a good question. So, like you said, I went, I, I studied film in college and interned for the current, the, for SNY, the network I currently work at, um, my last year of college. And this has basically been my first job. So I've been, at, I've been with the network since 2009. Oh, wow. And it's just, yeah. And so, and our, um, our original director was a guy named Bill Webb, who was the World Series director for Fox for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, really put in a really good spot to um, sort of shadow him and kind of see everything he did in game. And Bill was always um, he was a very visual director. Obviously, the game comes first. Make sure you don't miss anything. But. Uh, he really brought in the intimacy of the uh, of a baseball broadcast, the close-up of a pitcher's eyes, the close-up of a batter's eyes. He's the one that showed Kurt Schilling's bloody sock and the drama involved in that. And so that was the beginning. And then as I grew um, at the network and did pretty much every job you can do within a baseball broadcast – it occurred to me that baseball was a very cinematic sport and it's really no accident why I'm here and why I'm, you know, making strides within the network is because it, it's it's a game that lends itself to these moments that um, are not only dramatic, but they are um, they you know, they tell the story within the game. And it's um, unlike football where they're wearing helmets and you can't take the shots of, you know, the close shots of their eyes and get the emotion and. You know, in basketball, they're, you know, moving up and down the court fast and hockey the same way and they're racing the clock In baseball. There's no clock. And so that really kind of, uh, you know, lends itself to, to setting up, um, you know, the the calm before the storm, you know, the um, the you know, the, the there's that slow period, you know, between pitches and foul balls and pitching changes where you're able to really establish, um, you know, set the scene for what's going on in the game. The runners are on, you know, the, the managers, you making the right decision, the confrontation between pitcher and batter. There's just a lot to set up. You can do it cinematically. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, baseball, just speaking in terms of pure shot selection, I think it's the only sport where you can get one of those, like, you know, Altman or Tony Scott style, you know, telephoto <laughs> lens uh, close-ups from hundreds of yards away on a guy's face and, you know, really Absolutely. get meaning out of it where the other sports you're either too tight in or there's helmets or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually hadn't thought about that, but, you know, it's the, the, to get a true close-up, you need to, need, to, need the batter or the, the athlete to be still. Yeah. And, um, you know, the batter's box and the pitcher's mound are a perfect place to do that. Or, or even a runner taking the lead from first base. I love that shot, too. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the eyes darting back and forth from the bag to the pitcher on the rubber. This, there's there's a lot of opportunities in baseball for stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite things, and it really has stuck with me from since I was a kid, was from a baseball movie, actually. And I don't think I've ever seen it pulled off in a broadcast. But uh, are you aware of the, the Bernie Mac vehicle, Mr. 3000? I've seen that movie. I, I think it probably has been 
15 years. I mean, that's probably like what, 2005 ish. Oh, four. Yeah. Oh, four. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I definitely have seen it. I don't recall much about it. So there's there's a there's a lot to like in the movie. Uh, I I'm a big fan of it. We did an episode about it on the podcast a while back. But there there's one shot of a close up, almost like it's out of a Robert Bresson film, a close up of a base runner's hands, uh, like tingling before he goes to steal second. Uh, and I just think like ah. focusing on something like that is something you can, you know, those little micro gestures, they're kind of what cinema is all about. And I think baseball is the only sport where you can really capture those that. And I, I, totally. I do think golf is quite a cinematic broadcast as well, but for different reasons. True. True. Yeah. Boy, this is my kind of podcast. You guys are talking about Brayson and, and Mr. 3000. In the same <laughs> sense. This is unbelievable. I got to start tuning in. Oh man, we would, we would love to have you on. Yeah. I mean, if you ever in the off season, you know, if you want to come for a true double feature episode, you're more than welcome, but I understand how right, busy cool. you guys are now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, September's always fun. In terms of you know the gamut of film references, uh, do you because you you sneak in some references? You know, do you have yeah. a favorite kind of thing you've maybe like kind of smuggled into a broadcast that to the viewer's eye is just oh that's a cool thing that happens in the broadcast, but to you you know is like a film reference that's going to go over people's heads. Uh, sure, you know it kind of started out. Um, I love De Palma, and I, you know, I've I've always wanted to try the split the split the opera stuff with uh, with the baseball broadcast, and I started experimenting with it a little bit last season, and it got a decent reaction. Then I've done it a few times here and there mm-hmm. throughout the broadcast. It sort of evolved into you know I have like six or seven different variations of this split diopter sort of split screen look, and it's just. Um, I've always been a fan of, of filmmakers who are um, sort of more style over substance occasionally. Like I, that doesn't, I don't shy away from that. That fits right into this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and De Palma is sort of right up that alley, like where he's, his cinematic language really speaks to me. And mm-hmm. I, I love sort of sprinkling that stuff out and you know throughout the broadcast to kind yeah. of in, in, in like like i said you know baseball is the, the perfect opportunity to do it because you need you need those moments of stillness and quiet to really establish those shots mm-hmm. and it um i've had some success with it yeah i mean if you think about it brian de palma's film style is one of action and voyeurism and uh what sure. is baseball if not voyeurism in between spurts of action hundred percent hundred percent what i what i've learned in in television doing this job for you know the decade plus that i've done it is that the folks at home they they uh, <laughs> i think the palma may have said this everybody's a voyeur yeah. they really are and when you can show them something that they feel like they're not really supposed to be seeing um it's always successful whether it's a shot in the dugout or a mm. shot you know when i'm you know bringing in the closer from the bullpen from so you know good. behind the gates you know it's those little moments where i think that people really get a kick out of it and so do i speaking of the cl- i mean that's that's become kind of your signature move is the trumpets <laughs> uh you're so lucky that the mets have such a good closer uh that he can deliver on <laughs> the cinematic hype that you bring to him when, when did the sure. trumpets start the trump so the trumpets we became aware of the trumpets um i think it was early last season mm-hmm. uh where you know cuz we in the truck we hear the music in uh you know from the pa you know between innings and we get a little hint of it as the players walk to the plate but we don't unless we 
we, we turn that, you know, audio up, we don't hear it clearly, but you know, I think, I think one of the times that, you know, it immediately sounded like, uh, you know, an Ennio Morricone, uh, spaghetti Western yeah. riff uh, immediately, to me, immediately to me. And so I was like, Oh wow, we gotta, we gotta like do that. You know, like show that him coming in one of these times. And we did it a couple of times last year and we did it. The Mets threw a combined no hitter earlier this year in April or May. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Um, and, um, we did it then, uh, but it really, um, it really, I guess, check it's three, uh, three weeks ago, a month ago. It really, um, it, it, it caught the world by fire when I sent the camera down to the bullpen <laughs> and we walked them in from behind and yeah. tracked the PA and it was a big win like to over the Braves. And it was, um, I think, I think it was a Sunday and the Mets took four or five against the Braves and the timing was right. The team is playing well. He's having a historic season and we, it was just it was just a uh, the perfect storm of things for that to go viral, and I've sort of embraced it um, myself by you know throwing in a few uh, of my own <laughs> embellishments yeah. on his walk-in. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everything's coming up good for the Mets right now. You know, I don't want to speak yeah. too soon for you guys, but um, even before, well, w- w- what season was it that you started broadcasting last season, or uh, sorry, directing rather the broadcast? So I got promoted after the 2019 season. So I had the pandemic 2020 season, the okay. 60 game season and last year. And this is my third uh, season doing it. Yeah, because for a while now, the Mets have also had the best on mic broadcast team in the league. Um, and it's it's a shame for me to admit this, you know, as a Dodger fan, you know, I had the best broadcaster in the world for my whole upbringing with Vince Scully, Absolutely. of course. Uh, but now, you know, I, I see I have a few Mets friends that I follow. There, there's a disproportionate amount of uh, film Twitter people who are Mets fans. So I see a lot of, you know, clips of Keith <laughs> uh, yucking it up in color commentary. Sure. It's like so what? And I noticed that there's some interaction between your stylistic flourishes and, you know, uh, you know, Keith will, uh, you know, give you the hat tip on some of them and stuff like that. So how much kind of interaction is there with your guys's team in the truck and the guys on mic during the game? Oh, it's 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 one unit. The guy the guys on on mic in the booth are, you know, on the same level as a PA in our group because Mm. it's just. It's one unit. It's a well-oiled machine. And we've all been together for so long that yeah. it kind of um, it runs itself. And those guys are so good. They're yeah. so good together that it really allows our creative group down in the truck to kind of do anything we want because those guys can handle anything we throw at them at any given time. There doesn't have to be a lot of pre-production or meetings. Um, everybody kind of knows their role. Um and nobody does baseball better than us, but also nobody puts on a better show than us because that's <clears throat> at the end of the day, it is a show. It's entertainment. Yeah. It's a, you know, people are watching on TV. They're choosing to watch us instead of a movie or their favorite Netflix show or whatever it may be. They're watching us for three hours. They're inviting us into their homes every night and it's entertainment. And yeah. those guys have really embraced it and allowed me to um, take some chances that I may not, may not normally get to do on a, any other broadcast. A couple other questions, just real quick before we get out of here. Sure. Um, so I believe it was, let me see the date here. Yeah, uh, May 22nd, uh, Phillies-Mets, and there was okay. a, there, there was kind of a viral clip of the Phillies broadcast, uh, and they were just dejected. Just like, it was one of the most unenthusiastic home run calls I've ever heard. I forgot which Met hit a home run, but it was like... It's hit well. Out to right center field, and it is gone. And I think it's really funny, and it's like, what else can you give them kind of when your team is taking a shellacking like that? So 
when you find yourself in those situations, like where it's either kind of a slow game and they're behind, you know, the real dog days of baseball, um, what do you kind of lean into that or do you try to just infuse as much energy to kind of wake up the viewers? Um, so it's interesting. So, uh, we're, we at SMY are kind of in a unique situation where um, we don't have a lot of pressure from the team to be quote unquote homers mm-hmm. on our broadcast. You know, if the Mets are winning or losing, you're going to get the same show from us. We're not going to play it any differently. I mean, in a blowout occasionally, either way, if the Mets are losing or the, you know, the Mets are winning big, we'll occasionally do some fun stuff. Like we'll mm-hmm. bring out baseball cards, and have the guys go through baseball cards in the booth. And we do this, this thing called media guide musings, where we literally have the guys just read out of the media guide in a blowout. <laughs> um, that's great. That's it, like, <laughs> that's like avant-garde. That's like reading the yeah, newspaper on a podcast. That's from the that's from the brain of our great producer Greg Picker, who's yeah. <laughs> uh, very good at that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, so whether whether it's the Mets are losing or winning, our guys don't really call it any differently. Um, obviously, Gary is going to be a little more over the top when the Mets do something well, but he's gonna. It's not it's not much different if you know if the Phillies hit a walk off home run in the bottom of the ninth against the Mets in Philadelphia, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really change things much for us because we, we, we like to view our broadcast more on a national level. Um, we don't, we, we, we obviously, it, it, it's good for us when the Mets win, but it doesn't make or break the broadcast if they're losing either. Yeah. You're still, you're still going to get a very similar show. Just before I let you go rapid fire, favorite baseball movies. Favorite baseball movies. Well, I have a daughter now, so I have to say uh, uh, a league of their own. I mean, that that is that that's a classic. Um, growing up, my favorite movie growing up was Major League. I love Major League so much. And, you know, that, that, that that's kind of what makes all this Diaz stuff kind of cool, because I love Ricky Vaughn. I love Wild Thing coming in from the bullpen. Yeah. And I love it. I even like Major League Two. <laughs> back back to the minors, I can do without, but even Major League Two, I, I, I'm good with. Yeah. But those 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 two would have to be neck and neck. And, and growing up a child of the '90s, The Sandlot was 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 a big one for me as well. Um, yeah, I, I think those would probably be my top three. Okay. Uh, no love for the Bad News Bears from the '70s. Oh, that's a good call. I love the Bad News Bears. That's oh, one of my I, favorite movies of all time. Yeah, you know what? That 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 may sneak in the top three too. That may kick the Sandlot out. It's a great call. They remade the Bad News Bears in the mid two thousands. Uh, Richard Linklater was the director of it, a director I love. Billy Bob Thornton, right? Yeah, with Billy Bob Thornton in the Walter Matthau role, and they yeah. actually uh, I've I've told this sob story on the podcast before. They casted all the kids at my little league uh, in the really? San Fernando Valley, and I did not get chosen. Oh, and it was my favorite the bomber, movie. Man. The original, even then, was my favorite movie as an eight-year-old who should not have been watching a movie with that many uh, slurs in it. <laughs> that is fantastic. You missed out on your chance to work with Link later, man. Right? Wow. It'll come. It'll come. <laughs> It'll come. It'll yeah. come. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. It was it was a blast talking to you. And um, look, it's September. I know you said you're not homers, but since you represent the Mets, I think this is like the the last pleasantry I can have with you until the season's over uh, or at least until the pennant is decided. But this was a lovely chat. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Listen, uh, baseball is my job, but movies are my passion. So have me anytime. I love it. We'll definitely have you during the (laughs) off season, John. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great night and a holiday. You too. Yeah.
Bye. Well, how about that? As the great Mel Allen would say. you to meet who i want you to meet the mets meet the mets step right up and greet the mets great idea can you walk and we're back on extended clip now i know that was a lot of baseball talk for you so now we're gonna bring it back to the movies now you love the movies and i know you love malcolm's amc a-list corner true and you know what i yeah, I don't know if I love that, but uh, Eddie's been hit. Eddie's got some good voices for you this season. We're gonna hit Wait till next week, man. <laughs> it's. I hope you like kind of the shock jock direction. It's we're kind of sh- we're becoming smarter, but also shock more shocking, more shock jocking. But um, you know this AMC A list stuff, right? Uh, that's usually where Malcolm kind of you know talks to, talks for like five minutes. But no, I'm you know. We could, you know, maybe my name's still on there since it is my, I came up with it, but this is an A-list AMC segment for all of us because we're all three members of the A-list. We all spend our time at the multiplex watching new releases. I mean, I feel like maybe this year I haven't watched as many, but that's that's good because my mind's less cluttered and I'm ready and I'm focused and I'm ready to go. So amc a list what does it mean to be a member before we get into the movies um <laughs> you see a nicole kidman intro you know it's kind of gone from you just people. you have uproarious applause there uproarious you're just so applause. happy for the movies at that moment uh, only the true movie fans are the ones just hooting and hollering and really getting every every last drop of that however many months after it was first released now yeah, yeah, no, you know, it kind of started with the the ironic love. This is how everything goes, right? It started with the ironic love. You know, people are like, "This is kind of stilted," and now, and now we can't imagine a world without it. You know, and then the popcorn. Ooh, it's so buttery. And then this the soda <laughs> <laughs> pours. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Malcolm was stalling while I was fixing some technical <laughs> stuff. No, no, that's you just got to get into the feeling of the movies. If you can, I would say maybe listen to this first episode in a movie theater. Oh, yeah, um, dude. Well, you, while yeah. they're playing the 45 minutes of trailers. True. Or you, you people don't know this. You could stay in the theater after the movie's done. <laughs> they and kinda, can't make you leave. You could kind of just chill there if you don't have a place to go. It's like a squatter's rights kind of thing. So the first time that I rolled out to the multiplex after we finished the podcast... I believe was for Red Rocket by Sean Baker. Red Rocket is Sean Baker's best film. That's plain, yeah. simple as, as they say. I, uh, it, it, the textures of the 16 millimeter, uh, super 16, that is, photography, the character work, the bad boy performance by everyone's favorite. You know, I think everyone loved that performance, you know, even if those who are a little bit more skeptical on the movie, there's just, uh, it's very magnetic. I love the kind of the... 
uh, almost kind of it's it's kind of it's a nasty little tale that Baker weaves here. I would say, you know that's that's a that's a phrase I'm going to be saying a lot. Nasty little tale for <laughs> that he weaves like uh, uh, both sides of the blade. Another nasty little oh, we'll little get tale. To we'll it. get to that. Yeah. But those are nasty little tales. I wanted to say it was yeah. like white trash Antonioni. Like the yeah. way that he used those fucking industrial backdrops reminded me of a red desert so much, and I just thought it was a beautiful film about love. Uh, JT, what did you think about Red Rocket? Uh, yeah, no, it was great. I haven't, I don't think I've, I've only seen that like shitty uh, Warriors. Thing. Yeah, like Ugh. short from Sean Baker. But yeah, no, Red Rocket was killer. I feel like it's something where it's just like very, I don't know, the plot and like nature of it being like a very simple like character study of just a complete piece of shit scumbag is a milieu. Uh, that I very much so uh, like when movies explore. And then, I don't know, I think you get like a lot more that you can stra- extrapolate out from that about, like I don't know, the contemporary moment and just like, uh, I don't know, uh, you, can, you can branch out from there, but just the core being rooted in just an extreme pervert scumbag character is a lot of fun. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of this one, but the next time I went to the AMCA list was for The Matrix Resurrections, so I'm going to keep it positive. JT, you are a huge fan of this movie. Tell the folks at home why I'm wrong about The Matrix Resurrection. I know, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, no, I, I know. We could, we, we'll keep it civil. We'll keep it polite. Again, I'm trying to bring respect to this podcast <laughs> again. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, people dislike the matrix sequels in general for like whatever reasons uh like that's totally fine this is obviously very very different from two and three and i think because i wound up seeing this like maybe three or four times and like initially like i was a big fan but i feel like it was calibrating uh expectations that were a little bit different uh for me like i was anticipating more of like a return to like sort of the original matrix and like big action set pieces um, in the way the first one pulls off. But obviously it's very different from that. And the film itself um, is about the nature in which like returning to that. And I, I don't know, some of the commentary obviously is a little like on the nose and sort of like more tongue in cheek, but at the end of the day, um, all of the Matrix movies being about uh, the love between Neo and Trinity and sort of this love being a powerful force that sort of transcends like them separate as like individuals or like even when they have like possessed different identities, this sort of love is like a guiding uh, presence that like they may have forgotten each other they may on like live in two separate planes but it's able to pull them and bring them back together and give them both uh, strength and I don't know and the past iteration of the podcast we talked about loving love and for me uh, it's this type of like larger than life like cinematic love that like is often times in like 
I think like Bollywood movies for me where and like obviously Hollywood stuff too where it's this larger than life like obsession that like is totally divorced from the real world but it's something that at its core is just very beautiful to me and I, I think just rooted in the desire of people wanting to connect and uh, both of the performances by Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss like and that like the fact that the uh, film includes footage from the original that like has a very different like visual texture because it's mm-hmm. not like the crisp digital and like you see them so much more aged now I think does a lot for me in returning to those images and just I don't know the idea of you can never return to the past in the same way wow wow very well put JT that was late December. I did a little more like end of year catch up, you know, just some rapid fire shit right now. Um, don't look up. Uh, Benedetta. Good, but clearly Verhoeven is like crippled by not having the access that he usually does or that he did on his best films. You know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, a good movie. I would say, yeah, it's I, it's not his, uh, you know, apex work or whatever. But honestly, it's I thought it was amongst the I better movies of the year. You and JT both like it a notch more than me, but I think you and both JT both like Verhoeven a notch more than me. Because yeah. for me, like the peak Verhoeven is still like I love it, but yeah. not as much as you guys probably. Yeah. So it's I think it's the same scale, right? Where it's just it's a yeah. notch down from his best movies, but it's yeah. still good. Yeah, sure. Um, zeros and ones, kind of the same deal for Ferrara there. The, the textures are insane, yeah. <laughs> but that movie makes no fucking sense, Yeah, yeah give, dude. Me, give me $20 if Get, you actually understand that shit. I mean, yeah. it's, you know what, but it is, it, I mean, it's not, it's not uninteresting. It's no, not, not at all, dude. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's worth the price of admission. Cool. Ethan Hawke gave the, the Tom Cruise intro, you know, thank you for coming to see the movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I, I I can't I can't say it's amongst my favorites or that there was I really connected with it in any way, but it is like okay, this is cool. Yeah, what else did I do in this catch up run here? What did you see? American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. No, did you? What was that? I like? saw that. Yeah, Josh Groban was playing Kurt Warner, and yeah, uh, uh, yeah it sucked. It it, <laughs> it it it's really bad. It it looked very blue. A lot of like the most blue I've seen in a movie in a long time. So okay. if you like the color blue, check that one out. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. Come on, man. Uh, and then I also caught up, though, with three, and this will <coughs> jump a bunch of time, but I just want to fucking gap these together because, first of all, I was just pretty negative there. Yeah. But in this time, I've seen three movies by Matt Farley and Charles Roxburgh that have come out in the time since. Heard She Got Married, Metal Detector Maniac, Magic Spot, boom, 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 three classics. Yeah. The, the new, like, kind of tonal approach that he's taking. Mm-hmm. He's so much more laid back. And that allows the goofy concepts to speak for themselves more, I yeah. think. Like, the tones are a lot more low-key. The music is more character-driven. Uh, and Heard She Got Married, I've made this comparison already, but it sounds like fucking guided by voices. Uh, and I think Robert Pollard and Matt Farley are kindred spirits very much. Um, but yeah, and in Magic Spot, like, the the music is all character-driven and uh, in fucking metal detector maniac i mean come on he's hiding in plain sight like that is just mm-hmm. one of the funniest concepts ever and we we've spread the gospel enough but uh any specific thoughts on those ones from you guys yeah i think like are all of are all three in black and white i believe yeah yeah it's just farley's uh, farley and roxburgh are operating at such a 
like strong level now. I feel like I mean I love all of their work, but these last three have just been some of my favorites, and they're getting in like an interesting way with like their tone, where it's just like rather than just being like sort of straight up comedies. I mean, there's always like goofy character stuff before but i feel like because of that sort of more laid-back approach that you were talking about eddie that there are like weird moments of like sentiment and like feeling that are like interesting to explore and just such really like stupid and goofy ideas that like i i don't know um I think, like, it, without a doubt, Boston Johnny, if it comes out oh. in 2022, um, or if it gets released in, like, 2023. But I, I feel like it will probably be among the best of the year. Like, he is just cranking out heaters. All of the, all three of those. Like, Heard She Got Married snuck into my 2021 top five. And those two right now are my, I think, number one and three of the year. The other ones that I watched yeah. this year. I didn't see Magic Spot, but the other two. Yeah, the, good point. Like, I, I hadn't really connected that in my head yet. But, yeah, they're a little less tightly wound than his previous work. A little bit more casual. It seems like more things are kind of seeping in in a natural way. And, uh, yeah, I, it, they're... Farley and Roxburgh, they're they're people I'm always going to look to for a new release. I'm not going to miss their stuff. And Farley's ear for tin-eared dialogue remains unmatched. Yeah. Nobody else can have a movie that says sabbatical 30 times in it. Like, I don't know why. Just the choice of words that he chooses to hammer home are so unconventional for what a character in a movie should be saying for your ears to be soothed. Uh, it goes all the way back to the don't let the river be get you ending. And we're going to raise Bradley, her deceased ex-fiance's son from another marriage, as if he were our own. Bradley, from now on, you may address me as daddy. But yeah, so that's the Farley Roxburgh. That's the Moturn Method corner. Yeah. Go buy the Moturn Method, by the way, too. I wanted to hit one last 2021 thing I don't think I talked about. I think yeah. my, I don't know, I don't think you've gotten around to this one yet, but Todd Haynes' Velvet Underground documentary. Oh, I need to, dude. I, I, I really want to. I don't know why I haven't watched it yet. I just feel stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I think to some level, like conventional, like talking heads to a certain extent. Um, but talking heads, it, I thought it was about the velvet uh, freaking underground. I, I thought about making that joke, but I was like, nah, that's not good enough to say. <laughs> but like it, it, it departs from that in a way where it's like Todd Haynes is such a, a skilled filmmaker. He does like interesting, like visual asides and just moments where you're like listening to the music and sort of really letting that play out. And then also just on top of that, for me, like a big entry point into like why I wanted to watch the movie was there um, are some interviews with Jonathan Richmond that are in there and yeah. he really doesn't give all that many interviews and it was just sort of neat to see him express his enthusiasm for the Velvet Underground talk about like learning how to play music from them and uh, yeah no it's not um, I, I feel like it could honestly be like even more like comprehensive it's like two hours which is like I'd say decent but no, yeah, again, like I I was itching to hear about the solo work, but I think that's yeah. just a testament to how how fun it is and like how interesting uh like Kale and Lou Reed are as musicians. 
Yeah, and I mean, who's more qualified to gush about them than Richmond? You know, the guy has two separate songs that are like Sister Ray tributes, you know. How in the world are they making that sound? Velvet underground, like this. Tuck and Sally inside. She's cooking for the down fire. And... No, it's all good. I'm going chrono. I'm still in December in my catch-up oh. mode. So I'll quick quick hit because I've talked about these on Twitter enough. Um, worst Person in the World, I think, is up to the hype. It's a very good movie. Uh, Well-structured, great performances, affecting. It has some art house quirks that I don't like, but it's a strong three and a half. Memoria. I mean, what do you fucking say? It's the, the best filmmaker of the 21st century, and he, he just keeps fucking going. Like... What do you guys think about Memoria? I thought Memoria was fantastic. I, yeah. I, I kind of, I know it's a 2021 release, but I saw it in 2022. So on my own list, it's like the best, you know, the movie of the year. Yeah. If it was on this year's list yeah. for me, it would be movie of the year. Uh, JT, did you see Memoria? Yeah. No, I still haven't. I've been waiting Ooh. for, like, that's one of those where I know it's going to be such a great film that I'm saving it for the right time. Unfortunately, just because of being in like the process of moving and everything i think i missed uh the theatrical run of that i mean like that's something that'll probably like be in rep houses for years to come for sure um which honestly i might try and like hold off for that alone but i i of of course know good things are in store uh wife of a spy malcolm had already talked up on the pod last season i caught up on that that was really good Oh, so Bruno Dumont's uh, France. Unbelievable film. Completely took me by surprise. Did not expect to like it. Léa Seydoux is unbelievable in this film. She had a hell of a year last year, but this is like the crowning achievement of it. A tragedy of Macbeth. Not so hot. Not so hot. It's definitely not bad. No, it's just not not. so hot. JT, you see that? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of a skip. A lot of Shakespeare. Ooh, yeah. So now we're starting to get into the 2022 stuff, though. Like Scream. Didn't see it. Mm, it's fuck okay. It. it works. Like it works, you know. But kinda, it's like, yeah. why the fuck? Oh, I want Wes Craven back. I don't. I don't. Even, this is hot take corner. I don't even really like the original Scream that I much. I love Scream, dude. I lo- Wes Craven yeah. is at the top as fucking game in Scream. I think because yeah. it's turning a script about its subject matter like into the most alive thing ever like it shouldn't feel alive it's way too cute and meta but i think wes craven demonstrates the power of a good horror director in that movie uh and the power of just a good like fun director like he's funny no i mean he's great you know maybe i haven't seen in a while maybe i'm wrong moonfall playing now nope horrible moonfall might be the worst movie i've seen this year uh i was living with jt still at the time he hadn't moved away and uh, I told him, JT, I'm going to see Moonfall. And he didn't come with me. Yeah, I saw it opening day. I was a real oh, Moonfall yeah. head. I mean, it was just like, I mean, obviously <laughs> complete moonfall. trash. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Just like the kind of like you and I, I don't know if we ever talked about it on the pod, but have said the phrase A-list obligations, where yes. it's just like something where it's just like, like, uh, don't worry, darling, is going to be an A-list obligation for me, where it's just like. <laughs> Something that I know is bad, but is like 
a big enough like movie kind of a thing that I feel like and you got a list. Why not? Why not see the the piece of shit on the big screen? Yeah. Let's see. What, what about you, Malcolm? What was your next one up? Uh, I mean, where are you date wise? Jackass. January? You guys see Jackass? Yeah, that February. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah, Eddie's, yeah, Eddie's a, a, no, a noted Jackass hater. No, I can't <laughs> fucking no. breathe. It's Eddie, a good movie. Eddie's I just not, think people are so fucking stupid Eddie's about Jackass. Not really They're like, into it. No, no, He's it's not even you guys who give good ratings to it. It's just like the way people talk about it is so fucking annoying. That's and then I true. also, but it shouldn't inform how you see the movie. I just think all of those movies are good. Yeah. They're just solid. I thought They're the, fine. The opening uh, set piece uh, with the balls, the giant balls, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. it's funny, but I just get exhausted in those yeah. movies. It's like gag, gag, gag. And like, there's no structure, obviously. I know that's who yeah. am I fucking talking, you know, wh- what am I talking about here? It's jackass, but yeah. like... I just wish it held together a little more if we're going to be considering it one of the great comedy you, films. <laughs> you got to watch it like a, you would a Wiseman movie, man. Take it scene by scene. Take, True. The, take the light humanity. Jeff Tremaine is no Wiseman. Yeah. <laughs> His well, boss be as he may to you. Well, let's one. not. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we don't, need, we don't need to reveal things about yeah. our personal lives. Look, so. this is an old... <laughs> Malcolm has moved on with his career. He no longer is a slave of Jeff Tremaine. <laughs> <laughs> Tremaine slave, <laughs> dude. Tremaine committed white slavery. White slavery. <laughs> well, that's hey, according according to nowadays. I guess that's good. Um, uh, dog. Did you guys see Dog? No. no. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Really? Lay it on me. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, as a, you're a big Soderberghian, Soderberg guy. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like all the same crew that makes Soderberg movies, except we got. Channing Tatum and Reed Carolyn uh, directing. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking about the Farley movies kind of having a more casual tone. This, this, this one is just kind of by the numbers, kind of casual, low stakes about like this veteran um, Channing Tatum who's like too mentally ill, too like erratic to get a real job in the army. So they kind of just give him a weekend job of delivering a dog back to uh, a dead veteran's funeral and it's just a road trip movie with uh, Tatum and this dog but he gets into hijinks like uh, he almost has a threesome with two Portland hipsters but then the dog the dog starts rattling in the back of the trunk and so uh, an Antifa activist comes and tries to free his dog from the trunk and uh, Tatum has to get into a little skirmish with him and uh, just the set piece to set piece who won the skirmish (sighs) who do you think and then, um, you know, there's a, Tatum pretends to be blind to get like a hotel room. I don't remember this movie all too well, but I honestly, it, it, it was kind of exactly what I wanted it to be. And it's like competently made. Dog, I, I recommend it. And at this point, it's probably the Stillwater of the Year award. That's, oh, that's such high praise, dude. Yeah. So <laughs> For another three out of five movies, exactly, Stillwater. Exactly. Um, speaking of three out of five, I think I was probably too generous on the Batman. It's probably two and a half, but it's fine. Yeah, it's, I, for, a, for, a, for a fucking dog-brained superhero movie, it's good. It's a masterpiece, you know? But it's like, uh, it's a two and a half. Even, I wouldn't even say that. I wouldn't even say that. It's kind of... It's, it's, it's not. No, it's not. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty drab. It is. I'd have to say I, that. I liked the experience of watching it despite falling asleep for 10 minutes, but like, uh, now, now I can't remember anything about that movie. It's, I'm bumping the rating JD, down. Do, do you have any thoughts on the batman i just also bumped it down to two and a half like it's like just forgettable like it was pleasant enough like in the theater but like 
I don't know. I like the Nirvana song. Couple stinkers in a row now. Uh, Deep Water and X back to back. The fuck is Deep Water? X has the fucking prequel coming out now. Pearl and X story. I, I saw that. That's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Deep Water, dude. Uh, the return of the erotic thriller much? Oh. oh. Everyone's favorite. Do you remember how quick that died? That burned out so Everyone's quick. like, I can't believe there's going to be an Adrian Lin. Sometimes the, exec- sometime the executives are right. Yeah. <laughs> don't, hey, don't watch porn. It poisons your mind. Actually, yeah. Just watch good <laughs> erotic yes. thrillers. Yeah. <laughs> We're on that type of thing now. And X was horrible. <laughs> I can't wait to see which Fleetwood Mac song they stop uh, Pearl in its tracks to sing as a sing-along. Uh, like they did an X with landslide. They have a the, see. I hate I, using the popular. Although I like that in Red Rocket when they used Bye Bye Bye. But yeah, using a popular song can sometimes come off as the most annoying thing. And then I'm back at 2021 catch up. I'm gonna skip all of that Oscar catch up I did. Fuck that. Yeah. R R R film of the year maybe Magic Spot R R R. They're up there. Yeah. R R R. Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know Desi Nach? Believe the hype, zone out the haters. Yeah, uh, put on the hater blockers for this one. Um, <laughs> lots of fun. Yeah. Lots of fun at the Speaking moment. of lots of fun, the next one I saw was with Malcolm and intern David. Ambulance. I thought I, Ambulance is up there for me. I, I really enjoyed Ambulance. Mm-hmm. I thought Bay really uh, paid cr- close attention to just rhythm, and I was kind of in it for you know a good majority of it and the drone work i thought was fantastic the the drama was kind of uh you know just as ham-fisted as it needed to be you know what i mean i think uh the central three of the cast they do a good job with you know what's given and i i don't know i i really could not expect more from michael bay even you know what i mean I think oh yeah this it's is, his it's maybe his best movie i i yeah it is his best movie in my book jt yeah, I agree with that entirely. It's just like it moves fast. It's pretty like fun and crazy. And uh, I don't know, just it, like with a movie that's like called Ambulance and then has L.A. like highlighted in the title. <laughs> it is like exactly what that should be. It, it's uh, yeah, great. Some inventive like gags. You know? Yeah, totally. J- JT, where are you at in your schedule along with us, like April-ish? Yeah, I'm in April. I mean, there's one thing that I, I guess I can touch on for a little bit. A three-star uh, film, uh, Corrective Measures, a 2B original that has wow. Bruce Willis that uh, wow. is like, uh, I don't know, it, and Michael Rooker as well. It was interesting to see because I was like, uh, like Brana had to watch it for um, doing some like piece about like Bruce Willis stuff and just like the, the sort of tail end like I'm gonna get money for my family movies that he was going to do. I was curious as like a like how 
like a to be original would translate in sort of the DTV style. And like I had like fun enough with it. Like it's nothing like really to write home about, but like it has enough just like shitty kind of like it's like dystopian future weird sort of like superpower like prison thing where there's like a prison riot like bruce willis is the uh the main like sort of bad evil like super villain guy who like ultimately is gonna just get out of prison there are very few scenes with him because it's like obviously of his health deteriorating and like he does very little in them but it was like as a curiosity piece it was uh i was satisfied with that and there's like enough just like lo-fi shitty charm to make it lightly likable for me next one i saw was apollo 10 and a half the new richard linklater that got dumped on netflix pretty fucking fun it's a solid three it's not great it's it's uh nostalgic it's a cartoon you know i wish he shot it live i mean it's the rotoscope thing so we shot it live action and rotoscoped it kind of wish i could just see the og footage like I don't know. The rotoscoping doesn't add anything in this movie, um, but it's still a nice link later. Movie. I really liked it. I, th- I think it's like the, what it did do was he can create more of the, you know, the recreations of sixties, Texas that maybe they couldn't afford to build. Yeah. But if he got the PTA Tarantino budget to recreate sixties, Texas, it would have been on the once upon a time, Hollywood slash licorice pizza level. I think, I think it could have been a masterpiece, but unfortunately it was crippled by being a netflix cartoon wow i mean yeah that movie that you you've described that it could have been i'm really intrigued by but the movie that exists now it's kind of i don't really see myself watching it probably the very next day david malcolm and i saw father stew together true now malcolm take this one away Father Stu on paper, like what if I write down what happens in the movie, it, it should be better than what it is. But yeah. it is kind of just like poor filmmaking really just kind of hinders, uh, you know, this immaculate tale of, uh, you know, this guy Stu, who is a kind of a, you know, wants to be an actor, used to be a criminal, you know, rides his motorcycle, you know, he does all these things gets in a crash you know he finds a god he dedicates himself to being a priest does he die at the end does he have some sort of disease or is he still alive? remember he's like well does he die at the very end but the last third is him with a deteriorating True, yeah, body yeah which i gotta say it becomes almost comical how serious mark is taking it like yeah when he's getting like passed like he's like fucking uh stage diving at a concert where they're passing his body along like I fucking lost it in the theater. It's a it's yeah. a funny movie. It's not good by any means. It has some good scenes, and it's if you're a Marky Mark slash Mel head, uh, like the three of us are, you know, you're gonna have to fucking check it out. Yeah, I def- we're definitely all big Mark Wahlberg, Mel Gibson guys. This is Mel Gibson. I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't give this guy's troubles to a monkey, monkey on, on a rock. rock. <laughs> There's a 29 year old woman in Australia claims to be his daughter, claiming to be his love child daughter. And guess who Mel is blaming it on? <laughs> you get it? All right. All right, now we don't need it. Um, I'm guessing you guys didn't see this memory. Liam ne- the Liam Neeson movie of the year. There's Liam Neeson's Memoria? Memoria. Hey, hey you know what? It's a... Uh, you could call it that, but not really. Um, 
it's a he finds it's the the hunter biden story it, it, that, there's a hunter biden movie out right now uh, by uh robert davi and like uh breitbart or something like that and uh you know i i haven't seen it i don't i'm guessing it's not of at least a, as quality uh as memory directed by martin campbell who He's been given big budgets before. He's yeah, your favorite movies. movie ever, Casino Royale. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Kind of a snooze fest, right? Um, but uh, memory, basically, there's this real estate developer, and she has a rich son, and the rich son has a laptop full of uh, incriminating things, basically taking uh, the kids out of the immigrant uh, detention centers that he owns and uh, convincing them to shoot child pornography. And it's it's not quite uh you kind of find that out after it's not like a eight millimeter Nick Cage situation where you're going into this CD underworld. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you do get that moment where Neeson kind of reacts to uh, what's on the laptop like uh, Cage does with the eight millimeter snuff films of the, the rich dead guy he sees. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a time where I was like, fuck, I have nothing to do. I want to go see a movie. And it kind of satisfied me just enough. So for being there in a time of need, I, I thank you, Martin Campbell, Liam Neeson, and memory. Uh, the next new releases I saw were two that were very uh, acclaimed. Both of them will be completely erased, you know, memory-wise within a year, other than, like, the specific people that really wrote for it as a masterpiece. Yeah. But everyone who will say these two movies are like, oh, it was really good. They're going to forget the movie completely. The first one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And the other one is The North Man. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is the new epic random film by the Daniels Brothers who brought you such epic random films as Swiss Army Epic. And so that film was horrible. This film's a little better because it doesn't do that. Uh, And it has, you know... It it has the draw. Like, what do you think? It's a fucking American indie movie by an American, uh, an Asian American director, and it has fucking Michelle Yeoh in it. Like, that should do it. That should work. That should be a thing. That should be like a fucking crossover smash. Yeah. And you know what? It was, but not to me. I thought it fucking stunk. Um, it was a fucking smash, right? Like, it yeah. was huge. It was a huge A twenty four movie. It got huge reviews. I I just thought the movie was in its maximalist approach, not really going for anything particularly insightful. I you know I thought the Northman was all right. That's about uh, that's a the olive branch I'm extending to it. I think it was okay. You know what else uh, people said was good? Marry me. That was the next one I watched. Marry me. And did that's people, another one. Did people say hey, that was good? The romantic comedy is I back. I, you might be making. I don't. I don't know if I saw I, that. It was real. a very small percentage of people. It did not get very good reviews. I watched it on a plane, which is where you're supposed to watch romantic comedies because the elevation makes your heart go crazy. And you makes cry. your dick harder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, the cabin pressure did nothing to my penis or my eye ducts. You turtled in. You turtled up to this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't JT, see that. JT, what's shit. next for you? What do you got in May, June uh, going on? June and nothing really else in May that we haven't talked about. June, uh Top Gun Maverick. Like I liked it yeah. uh, pretty good. Like I gave it 4 bumped it down to three and a half. Um I probably like go in between that zone, 
but like I don't know, people have their critiques or whatever uh, with that. Like the original, obviously not uh, Tony Scott's uh, best work, but I think there is still like fun to be had in Maverick. Absolutely, like, that uh, e- even if it's like a little like not a little, but a lot less sort of like flair than Tony has. Um, I think Cruz's charisma alone, great supporting cast, like some moments that were like, I don't know, it, it looks great in IMAX and just uh, the actual like pilot quality of it, like being in the planes, like that is far more compelling than the original Top Gun to me. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was fun. Fun Definitely time. was, yeah, as good as it needed to be. I think, you know, even beyond kind of like the traditional plane antics and, and I think all that stuff's really good. Like, I think, you know, it does pull off some things emotionally that, you know, gives it a little bit more something than I would say the average blockbuster or whatever. But at the same time, it is, it is kind of very hollow. I remember I saw this twice and the first time I loved it, you know, I was head over heels, you know, um, and the Gaga. I was Ga- I was Gaga, and then the second time, you know, I I definitely still liked it a lot, but it's like a lot of the, I don't know, emotional core or whatever, just was like, all right, maybe this isn't as didn't really mean as much to me as I thought it, or you know what I mean? It's you, it, it kind of reveals itself maybe with a, a rewatch where yeah. the initial excitement of what you first see, I think, is really great, and that's all it really needs to be. So in that way, it's a success. It's a it's a box office hit. Good enough. Yeah. I didn't see it until a month later. I saw it right before or I guess it's still in theaters, mm-hmm. but I fucking saw it mid July. What's next? Hustle? Hustle was good. I didn't I didn't see that. I still haven't wow. seen it. Wow, yeah. fake No, I haven't seen fake Sandman yet. heads over here. Hustle was very good. It's not the best basketball movie. In fact, you know, it's not even a great sports movie and it's it's the first time that the happy madison style has tried to emulate the auteur style i think but it still just kind of feels like a happy madison movie like the art direction is exactly the same the editing is exactly Mm -hmm. the same um it's just like it's them trying to be a little more serious and i think they pull it off i don't think it's a great movie but like them pulling off being serious doesn't make a great movie yeah what them pulling off makes a great movie is the laziest comedies with the funniest man on earth. That's what makes the great happy Madison movies is the, the the strange eccentricities and the house style that develops over the years and the Sandman Mm -hmm. himself, you know, and the Sandman's fucking good in this. Uh, We know he loves hoops and he showed it off. Crimes of the future. Liked it a lot. I wish I kind of left theaters pretty quick. I wish I got a a second chance to hit a list again, but I don't know. There was kind of, uh, I thought, you know, his art world satire. I thought, you know, it's it's pretty funny. That's kind of a, a lot of the movie is, you know what I mean? And not really what I expected, but I don't know. I love the, the setting of like kind of like these dilapidated uh, buildings, you know, these kind of, it's shot in Greece, right? So kind of almost these ruin-like places, these caves, you know, <laughs> these people of the future are dwelling in. And like, uh, I I think it's, I don't know. I I think it's a movie that like I could kind of just relish in its small details of the world and whatnot and enjoy that amazing Howard Shore score. And for that, that alone is enough, you know, to kind of 
keep me going. So I I, I, I want to rewatch it before I give any definitive statements. But I I like it just to you know it's not a, I, to say it's his best would be a stretch. But like it's amongst uh, the better stuff of his work. You know what I mean? I don't put it on a lower tier whatsoever. Yeah, it's above the it's above the high mid tier. It's close to the top top six. Top six. Uh, top ten. Top ten. Top okay, 10. that's 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 clarification. Yeah, 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 yeah. There. yeah. Uh, JT. Uh, that was during my movie drought. Like I, there was very little like because I was in the suburbs for a little bit this year that I could. Uh, my access was pretty oh, limited. That's too bad. So, yeah, no. I mean, I have a I have a file of it all ready, waiting in the wing. I feel like this year is going to be a lot of catch up at the end. Uh, for me to like really see a lot of like some favorite things at home. Yeah, but, uh, I feel like I'm gonna know. have to there... do that too. I've been pretty busy with work. Like now, like it's so heavy beginning of the year, and now it's like one every four weeks that I, on my list. Uh, but Crimes of the Future, I thought was really good. It's like, yeah, Malcolm, what you said is right. It's more about the art world satire than I thought it was gonna be, um, and I think that's a good thing because I liked that more than the Vigo. Uh, Leia personal journey yeah. like I don't really know if I got anything out of that I like what the, both of those actors I yeah. loved watching them I loved watching Vigo's voice deteriorate the struggle that he puts through the physical struggle that he puts through every syllable in that movie is incredible I love mm-hmm. it um, but I don't really get anything out of that relationship I just th- I think it's a killer art world satire um, yeah, I, I think it's really good. And yeah, the world it creates through production design is fucking disgusting. Yeah. I love it. The goop that they eat. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I love the, the beds and Yeah. I, I, I kinda I it's kind of awoken something in me that I always knew was there. But uh <laughs> I've always had like this you know, this kind of blissful slash dystopic vision of like kind of me like in the future and like a like a, a like isolation tank like just <laughs> heroined out on some, on some future drug <laughs> like like laying in the darkness all day like with a with a hi-fi audio system listening to all my favorite tunes um and like uh if like you if got I, a fucking aja on 180 degree vinyl exactly gram oh 180 gram we sorry need asia it's pronounced yeah, asia. yeah yeah i know there, I, I've kind of always had that vision in my head. Like if I had all the wealth in the world, I'd kind of do something like that. Yeah. So. Well, I don't think you're alone. <laughs> yeah, I kind of maybe wanna, someone else thinks that yeah, way. <laughs> I want a like a hood, the hood. Like I was wearing like a hood, hooded figure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, next up for me was Elvis. Elvis. Now, Malcolm, your one-line review of Elvis being Elvis was kind of the man uh, made waves in my apartment. <laughs> I used to drink, I used to smoke, I used to smoke, drink, and dance a hoochie-coo. I used to smoke and drink, smoke and drink, and dance a hoochie-coo. Oh, oh, yeah. Now I'm standing on this corner, praying for me and you. Ha, ha, ha. That's why I'm saved. I'm saved. Elvis, Elvis fucking ruled. I, you know, 
or like the person the movie i i saw it twice kind of similar reaction to top gun where i was pretty high on it and then the second time i was like okay there's actually some stretches on this movie that kind of suck yeah but uh, i think there's a lot of aspects of the movie that suck too but it's like still pretty fucking fun i would say it's very fun it's i i I, I don't I, I, I can't, can't even go positive I, I, I go two and a half I know I, I know you kind of don't like it and I, I kind of don't exactly can't pinpoint like what I find so great about this I guess great's even the strong but like I there is a the natural urge in me is to give this movie thumbs up but there's something in my brain telling me yeah I, I'm not so sure and Unfortunately, I think the revisionism I is fucking lunk-headed, dude. Well, that's the thing. I guess I I don't know what's real and what's not. I don't I don't know what Elvis. But was even up without to. that, like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I I think that Boz puts on a show. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's all that matters. There are forty-five minute stretches where I'm like, he's putting on a fucking show. Yeah. Um, I I I can't do my job as a critic on this one. I can't I can't resolve my thoughts. Hey, he was the man. He was the man. Elvis Elvis ruled. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that's like the overarch. This is the most Boz's like spastic style has ever worked for me. And I feel like probably like will ever work. But it's just like it, it matches the subject matter well enough where it's just like Elvis is the man. I was listening to a bunch of Elvis like after Same, seeing yeah. the movie because of it. So like on that level, it's definitely a success for me. It just sort of falls apart at points where it's just like Butler's performance is great. Hanks is just like fucking a ridiculous buffoon. Um, And there's just not like, like it's fun for a lot of it, but then I think it tries to like probe into like some depth. And that's where it loses me because there's, there's no meat on those bones. (laughs) It's just, uh, it's just fun and flashy. And if you like, trim out a lot sort of stick to that like flash in the pan i think i would enjoy it a lot more but it just weighs itself down by being like too fucking slow yeah. i mean not like obviously the style isn't slow but there's just points where i'm like just waiting it does for drag it i think this movie is kind of zeitgeisty in a way that like kind of like almost works in a, in a weird way but and like once it kind of gets yeah, to like you know, Elvis, Elvis in his dark days. It kind of, it's a little bit more by the numbers than you know even itself would like to believe. So, yeah. um, hey man, great movie. Go see it. It, it. If we're doing Elvis revisionism, give me freaking John Cale doing Heartbreak Hotel. John John Cale will be mentioned every single episode of this reunion tour. It's for, Hell for, yes, for the Hell Kale head, yes. Kale salad heads out there. Yes. Since to dwell down the end of lonely street heartbreak hotel feeling so lonely baby next up also with Malcolm, I believe, both sides of the blade. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a lot of fun. We went out to the. That wasn't on the AMCA list though. That was at the Lemley in the Glendale. Lemley list. Uh, that I mean, I saw also everything everywhere at the Lemley too. But both sides of the blade. Ah man, after High Life, like I was like kind of worried. Like, did 
Did A24 ruin her? No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I just think Both Sides of the Blade is such a emotionally mature film. It's like Let the Sunshine In 2. Uh, it's not quite as great as Let the Sunshine In, which gets better every day for me that I just think about that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Depp Pardue appearance at the end, especially. Like, I... <laughs> fucking name an appearance of a, in a final it's like that and harry dean stanton and uh the straight story like those are the two like actor shows up in the final scene and just completely recontextualizes everything uh but both sides of the blade uh claire denis and race what are you even gonna say yeah <laughs> i love the scene where he goes i am your father your mother was black like yeah. just because the audience is like there's no way that dude's that dude's dad right yeah. and then he has to say it yeah, yeah. but uh yeah you know uh a woman is dating a man who is the father of a biracial child from a previous marriage uh their relationship has problems she then through his work uh sees a guy that she used to see yeah and she's like hey wasn't that good that was good right and it's that's all it's it's about adult relationships i hate when people do that kind of thing like this is a movie for adults thank you very much but like it really is like when you think about it because what's the entertainment value of this movie if not the analyzing of personal relationships yeah that's what it is that's all I got to say about it. And if that's it. your good. entertainment value, you better be good at writing characters. She is. And it's kind you of better upsetting. better present it well. She did. Yeah. And it's very fucking upsetting. Great It's actors. an upsetting movie. Yeah. Uh, both sides of the blade. I'm going to rewatch it when it comes on video. Um, gotta video gotta rent the video. Yeah. <laughs> you got a VHS. Uh, JT, did you now. get a chance to peep it? Uh, No. I mean, the one, like, probably like the last thing of note for me like because there's like i don't know getting towards like you're still in about like july, yeah, july right 16th, july august yeah. and i only have three more yeah. or two more left yeah because like i i'll get to probably my favorite of the bunch and probably like either my probably my third favorite movie of the year so far um other than like i, I saw a barbarian recently and i really liked that it was a fun uh horror movie and like beast prey nope all like serviceable enough the one word three star classic equation (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. it's just like yeah it gets the job done but yeah vikram is uh an amazing fucking action movie that like i feel like very ill-equipped to like tackle about how many things are like not going on within the movie but it is like at the same time like a spin-off of uh 80s uh tamil movie that like i think was one of the highest grossing called vikram as well that has uh kamal hassan uh who's the lead he reprises his role as like a badass like special agent guy and then it also serves as the second film in the lokesh cinematic universe or the lcu (laughs) Uh, which is uh, the director, uh, Lakesh Kanagaraj. And I haven't seen the first movie in this. I didn't really, I really know that going in, but I don't know. Vikram is like an insane sort of crime thriller that has like all sorts of like, I don't know, just exciting 
like twists and turn to it. It's like big and wild. It's just an amazing like time. I want to like branch out from here because there's so much especially like being someone who's new into like Indian films like and I mean all like sort of film industries are remarking upon themselves in some ways like consciously or not but this one just feels like stuffed with love uh for like the action genre and then just like the history uh of it in in itself and uh also it's just a really fucking crazy time the lead like vikram guy sort of one of the main uh plot points before it's revealed he's like the ultimate badass he's sort of like doing a bit like putting on for his family that he's just sort of like a lazy like layabout drunk who doesn't who's like a complete fuck up but then you realize at like a very early twist in the film it's an elaborate ruse he's just like this complete badass and uh yeah vikram is definitely like i would highly recommend that it's uh insane absolutely i need to check that out i saw the poster i saw a few people log it highly and i was like yeah vikram it's on on the list. list on my list on the list yeah i i saw actors which is another oh, new yeah. release that's, uh, you know, by our old friend, directed by our old friend Betsy Brown, the co-star of. If the movie you're looking for is the scary of sixty-first, stay on the line. I don't know why I wanted to do the movie phone. Oh, okay, <laughs> you're okay. slamming voices out yeah. of the park here. I love it. I you, it is shock jock mode for us this this time. I'm loopy tonight, to, dude. I yeah. can't stop doing the voices. But um, yeah. So the, I gotta throw some in the mix. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta step up to the plate. Scary co-star and co-conspirator of Peter Vax. If the movie you're looking for is assholes, they Peter Vax and Betsy Brown put this movie actors together and uh, played it at festivals i guess uh i say that because it hasn't gotten a real release yet uh it will eventually when they clear the fucking top 40 hits that they have in the soundtrack for no reason uh that's the dumbest thing that's like are you come on yeah. uh but do you want to make money the text of the movie well, I, mean, I don't want to touch it it's yeah. it's 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 you know uh it's difficult um look no so the dude uh the dude says the dude's an actor, Peter Vack. He plays himself in this movie, or he plays a character called Peter Vack. Let's let's keep it, you know, yeah. fiction from reality. No libel. Um, yeah, no libel here. Uh, Peter Vack thinks that, uh, you know, the way to save his career as an actor is to pretend to be trans uh, because we got to get on, on this whole thing, you know, this whole trans thing. The trans boom. Uh, yeah, and his sister is an actress and filmmaker, too. And she has a weird boyfriend character that keeps coming in and out of the movie. That's like totally nothing to me. Like I, that yeah. was that was the weird part. Looking back after, it was like, what was that guy doing? Yeah, yeah. You ever have that moment? Like, what was that character doing? Yeah. But anyway, uh, so she gets mad because like she's jealous because he's now skyrocketing to fame and passing her by and Mm -hmm. supposed to be like maybe like a cautionary tale because he does succeed doing this gimmick and goes through with it and like uh you know it's like oh he's alienated his friends and family i guess but he's successful and uh the girl character is left behind so when you think about that it's like wait a second the girl character the director she's left behind because the you know fake trans person got in front of her you could read that very ungenerously which i will not uh, saying that you know it's harder for cis than trans yeah. out here 
that's not what the movie's saying. That's an ungenerous reading, but I bet people would say it. What it is saying is maybe something a little more ambivalent about the whole thing. Maybe yeah. something a little more like, hey, this it could happen to you. You know, like it's like, could this happen? Maybe you'll alienate your friends, but, you know, it can happen. And I don't really think that's like cause for a movie. Yeah, that's that seems less of a statement than the... The, oh, it's a shitpost. bad one, yeah. Yeah, it's like, the thing is, it's like, now, I've been listening to some of these podcasts. They got, they got yeah. some of these ones in New York, man. You would not fucking believe what they're saying on these, these things. These East Coast podcasts. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I feel like there's such a disconnect from art as, uh, you know, a thing that you actually make and is held up critically and uh, a scene. Yeah. You know? A sketch. Well, no, 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 no. I don't mean like that. Yeah. I mean like a cultural scene. Oh, like yeah. we're in on the scene. Yeah, I get what you mean. Like what passes and what doesn't. What's edgy and what's not these days. What's cool and what's not these days. And you know what? There's been art scenes like that that operate and make good stuff out of it. But these days, they're not artists. They're actors. Oh. <laughs> That's hard. That's nice. Uh, nope. What about nope? nope? Uh, I kind of. I I need some help on this one, guys. I, okay. Uh, nope. Yeah. Oh God. Gotcha. All right, all right, JT. Just me and you talking here. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like maybe I'm missing something with a nope, but it feels like very unstylistic to me, very formless to me. I, is so it's like message. I don't. I don't get. Like I don't know. I. It. It just. It. It didn't really speak to me in any way. Reach me in any way. I. I think once it kind of gets down to business, you know, once the cinematographer and the fries guys there, and then they're trying to provoke the UFO into coming out. That's fun enough. There, there's fun stuff there, but it's like I. I guess it's just I don't know. There's nothing that really stood out to me in this movie yeah. that. That was really compelling, and like its metaphor, I maybe I'm, I I have it halfway or something like that. But it's like, so it's, they're trying to create something n- new or, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Like using yeah. like I guess using like images in a way like some like with the big IMAX camera at the end, yeah. like to like capture. And, like, sort of tame something as well. I mean, I do think there are interesting things going on there. And I do, like, I feel like I probably liked it the most out of the three of us. But it's still, like, I don't know. I feel like Peel's stuff has a bunch of interesting ideas on, like, in one discussion, like, or, or like, post or something that Eddie had said about the film where it's just, like, he's talking about, like, Moybridge stuff there is like um i don't know if i directly said this but there's kind of a pseudo western quality to it there are all things on paper about the movie that i feel like i should absolutely love it um especially like the fixation on like that it has to be like the recording they're doing at the end has to be analog film as opposed to like digital not functioning for it but it just, I don't know. I feel like it's too weighed down by, like, the ideas to really, like, mesh into something interesting. And I feel like if you, like, sort of relax that a little bit and just focus more on, like, story. And also, like, I, I think what you're hinting at a little bit, Malcolm, is that, like, 
I think it's a good looking film. I think it like is like decent enough, but I feel like I heard a lot of praise for the visual style that is like a, a little unfounded to yeah. me. Like I, I think it looks good, yeah. but it's not like it, it, there are like blockbusters that I see that look so much better than that. And it's something I really, really want to like. And with Peel in general, he is working in a wheelhouse of things that I do like. But I, I don't know. I feel like I often wind up wanting to be like, well, why didn't I really enjoy this more when there are so many things that I like present? Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly how I felt about Nope. A movie, a monster movie with a pseudo western thing about moy bridge where you know you have to shoot something like with a camera to get the monster with a camera like that's a great that that should be a good metaphor it should be a good movie i like it it and i kind of liked the movie i think the style the visual style is just the pure grandeur of it yeah. which like a lot of wide open spaces and stuff like that and Hoyt Van Hoytema shot it, and he he's a fucking killer cinematographer, man. But then you think about it. You think about that, and you think about Tenet. Yeah. And the use of space and grandeur in that film. And how Nolan uses Hoytema's, you know, uh, skills there to capture architecture, yeah. open spaces, uh, you know, unreality in the face of reality. It, come on. There's kind of a lack of urgency to the movie that kind of yeah. makes it. I mean, the pacing is very lax. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I guess, and it's like, that's stuff, that's a compliment, or I'd give maybe to another movie, but like, I feel like, I don't know, like when, like the Arby's, Arby's, Fry's guy is just, <laughs> Arby's, I'm getting hungry, folks. Uh, that was like when you yeah. uh, <laughs> were getting your fucking oil changed yeah. at fucking Jersey Mike's. Yeah, Jersey Mike's. I still do. Um, no, yeah, this the fries guy is there, and he's setting it up for like twenty minutes. And it's like I yeah. don't. No, that was completely I, unnecessary. Why am like, I watching? Skip this? that. Skip the fries guy. Skip the entire like, fries guy. I wish it was ninety minutes more tightly wound. Stakes were a little bit more. Like, Thirty-five minutes. They realize I need to shoot this with a camera. Let's get the cinematographer guy. That should yeah. have been thirty-five minutes into the movie. Yeah, exactly. I guess not to be the story guru. Yeah, but yeah. like, uh, I I just think that the the lax pacing doesn't fit for a movie that is so much more about horror ideas than horror realities. For some reason, I I feel like if this was in a more conventional mode, maybe I'd e- like it even more. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. I'm still interested to see what he, what he's up to, though. It's yeah, like absolutely. I said, I'll see every Jordan Peele movie probably before there's the big reveal of the creature as well. Like I was also like left like a little bit less impressed with the design. Oh yeah, it it's a fucking being, like, jellyfish. Kind of, like it's fucking. It's like ribbon. Yeah, there's the one. There's one really interesting moment where I think like when you're seeing the perspective of like the people being like sucked up inside of it. Like that was cool. That looked very like there's like an interesting texture to that image. And I was hoping that whatever the creature would be, would be something in this weird sort of like middle space of like not being able to define it. And it would alter the image a little bit more, but then it like, like again, I think there's a back and forth here of being like the story. I would like to be a little bit more conventional, and then the image be the images be a little bit more expressive, yeah. and that like 
the, yeah, the, it, it goes back to that with the creature as well. It's just like, I, 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 what am I looking at here? Well, that's a pretty depressing note to end it on for our AMC A-list hour, it turned yeah, into. Fuck, we didn't. That was a long one. Yeah. That's longer than I expect. <laughs> well, thanks for the first episode being a fucking endurance test. <laughs> no, that was fun, though. I think yeah. people like that enough. Uh, episode 4.2. Uh, that's how we're numbering these ones, but I probably won't say it or whatever. I don't know. The first earnest episode of the season, Within Our Gates by Oscar Michaud, and City Hall by Frederick Wiseman, featuring a special guest, Sean Glynis from the Wiseman Podcast. Good night. How in the world are they making that sound? Velvet on the ground, like this. Duckin' Sally inside. She's cooking for the down fire. She's staring at this rayon. She's busy licking up her pusher's hand. I'm searching for my beeline. I said I, I could hit sideways. I said I, I could, could, could hit sideways. She does it just like Sister A said. I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't give this guy's troubles to a monkey, monkey on a rock. rock. This is Mel Gibson. I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't give this guy's troubles to a monkey, monkey on, on a rock. rock. Okay, so where does this stand right now? Well, sometimes Mitch hangs out with the guy. What's his name again? Van. Van Hickman. Yeah, Mitch has Van playing bass for him now. Your mailman is your bass player? Well, when you say it that way, it sounds a little ridiculous. I need the accompaniment. I don't know for sure if the guy's crazy or not. Maybe it's all a misunderstanding. I just thought that you guys should at least know about the situation. If he's a bad guy, I can deliver to you all the inside information. If he's not, I get a bass player. Al, dinner's getting cold. Gotta go, boys. during your sabbatical? There's nothing he can't do, including this! Will you seriously be playing basketball during your sabbatical? Will you seriously be playing basketball during your sabbatical? And I'd like to take this opportunity to make the announcement that Emmeline Price and I are once again engaged to be married. And we're going to raise Bradley, her deceased ex-fiance's son from another marriage, as if he were our own. Bradley, from now on, you may address me as Daddy. (laughs) 
your mailman is your bass player. The TTR Daily Local Music Spotlight. Today we'll be hearing from Tri-Town's very own Mitch Owen, who made a bit of a name for himself in Nashville before returning to us here in the Tri-Town area. He'll be performing at Proctor's Farm soon. Here's one of his better-known songs, Late Night Fight by The Rock. Sorry to bother you. Um, could you help me move this bulky piece of furniture into my basement? It won't take more than a minute. 